We thank you for visiting Christian Bible Temple and pray the following message speaks to your heart. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh, though I also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. Yet indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. And be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Let's pray. Father, Lord, we thank you once again for your word, for this time. Lord, for everyone here today, Lord, may you open up our hearts to your word and the whispering of your Holy Spirit today, Father. May you keep us from distraction and attentive to what you want to tell us, Lord, and for your will today in your word, Father. We thank you once again for every family here today, Lord, and just pray that you be with us and bless us. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. So we've gotten halfway in this beautiful epistle, uh, the epistle to the Philippians, written by Paul, right? And um, so here we kind of go back to why he wrote the letter. As we said in the beginning, it was uh, an epistle or a letter to a church that he loved in Philippi, um, a church that he was encouraging and warning them because there were people there Judaizers, right, that were trying to get him back to the law, trying to get him back to the rituals and um, practices of the Jewish tradition, right, um, trying to get back to those things, not fully trusting in Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior through faith. And so we kind of go back to that now, how he, as a loving pastor, almost as a father to his children, is saying, you know, I, I'm is going to give him a warning as far as what to be aware of, right? And also um, of the freedom and we enjoy that we said in the beginning that is that over um, that theme that goes over the whole epistle is joy. Joy in your circumstances no matter what is going on, right? So first, we're going to look at those first six verses um, and then we're going to break them down and explain what he is saying here. So, it says, finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for to me to write the same things to you is not too tedious, but 
for you it is safe. Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, flesh I more so. Circumcised the eighth day, the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisees, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless, right? So here, um, something interesting in those first, first verse, it says, Paul continues with the concept of joy and rejoicing. However, this is the first time in the epistle that he says, in the Lord, rejoice in the Lord, right? Those other times it was assumed or kind of, um, it, it was understood that it was in the Lord. But here he specifically says, your joy, if you have not seen through my past half of this letter that my joy is in the Lord, let me tell you now specifically so you know where my joy comes from, right? It's not from my own strength, my brothers, but it is in the Lord. And so he says this, as he transitions to his final thoughts in this, his epistle, right, where his joy comes from. <clears throat> now, as we said just now, he had written to them before in verse, chapter 1, verse 27 through 30, that he talks about these preachers that were preaching for their own personal gain. Um, and he says, you know, I don't mind repeating this, right, because just like parents, how do we know, how do our kids learn? repetition repetition and repetition right um it's many times how we learn as adults repeating the same mistakes over and over until god says lord when are you going to learn right he sends us through the same situations but here he said it is not tedious to him it is not a burden to him because it's for their own benefit so what message is he sending to them it's a message of caution right that first word is beware and beware of what well he talks about a few things here first he says, beware of dogs, right? Beware of those dogs. So in the first century, those dogs, right, roamed the streets and were scavengers, dirty, and savages at times, right? They were not those nice little domesticated dogs that we have in our house. They would just run around the street and very dirty and nasty, right? Um, and scavengers. Usually this term was used actually for Gentiles in that time, but in this case, it was used for the Judaizers once again. Uh, for those people that were trying to get him away from trusting in Jesus Christ just by faith, but justification through works, right? They're saying, no, you need to be circumcised. You need to do this and you need to do that, right? So going back to works instead of faith, he's calling these people dogs, right? And if you want to read more about that, actually, just go through the book of Galatians, where it's a whole epistle just dedicated to that, of we are saved by faith in Jesus Christ and not of our works, right? So he calls them dogs. He also says, beware of these same people, but he calls them evil workers, right? So these people, the Judaizers, they prided themselves on being righteous through their acts and through their works and through their rituals. And those things in itself were not evil, right? Because the circumcision was something that the, um, God called the nation of Israel to do as a sign of repentance and of, of spiritual uh, purification, right? However, even though the, that work itself amongst all, amongst many, were not evil itself, the reason he calls them evil workers is that he was pulling them from the main focus, which is what? 
the focus away from faith and onto works. So that's why he was calling them evil workers. You evil workers, yes, those practices in themselves are not evil, but you're pulling them away from the main focus, which is Jesus Christ. We are all saved only through the blood of Jesus Christ and through his work on the cross, and they were trying to take them away from that, right? And that's why he calls them evil workers. And lastly, he says, beware of the mutilation. Now, in contrast, the word here, the Greek word for circumcision means to cut around, right? That's circumcision. The term used here means to cut down or off, to cut down or off or mutilate. Um, it was a mutilation. Now, was it a circumcision? Yes, it was a circumcision. But why was it a mutilation? Because it was a false circumcision, meaning it had nothing to do with obeying Christ. If they truly obeyed Christ, they would have what? Accepted Jesus Christ as the Lord and Savior, right? Because it was not about the rituals and works anymore. It was about Jesus had died on the cross, buried, and rose on the third day at this point. So at this point, they were not obeying God. It was just a false um, false act that was done um, in order to gain salvation, right? Based on legalism as a ritual, but of no spiritual value. Like the worshipers of Baal, right? That we read in 1 King 18.28. And it says, And they cried aloud and cut themselves after their manner with knives and lancets till the blood gushed out upon them. Right? So they were cutting themselves which actually, if you go to YouTube, there's still a lot of cultures that do this um, by flogging themselves, cutting themselves. They feel like they're purifying themselves, right? Uh, so it's a form of idolatry, right? Um, and this is exactly what they were doing. And so beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, and beware of the mutilation because this was happening in their time. And in verse 3, he talks about the real circumcision, right? For we are the true circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. So ultimately, this is what the Judaizers were carrying, taking them away from, right? The true circumcision, which is what? Not circumcision of the flesh, circumcision of the heart. That could only come through faith and trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and saving, Savior, right? It says no confidence in the flesh. Trusting him and not putting our trust in the flesh, which is sinful in our works, but fully trusting in the work on the cross and the regeneration of the Holy Spirit, right? In Romans chapter 2, Romans chapter 2, verses 25 to 29, it says, For circumcision is indeed profitable if you keep the law. But if you are a breaker of the law, your circumcision has become uncircumcision really doesn't matter right you just got to cut skin you're still a like the baptism right you come in a wet sinner leave a dry i mean a dry sinner leave out a wet sinner right it's of no value of no avail therefore verse 26 of romans 2 therefore if an uncircumcised man keeps the righteous requirements of the law will not his uncircumcision be counted as circumcision and will not the physically uncircumcised if he fulfills the law judge you who even your written code and circumcision are a transgressor of the law. Basically, he says, if someone follows the law to a T, it doesn't matter if they're circumcised or not. Right? They're righteous through their works and through their law. So circumcision, either way, is of no use. Verse 28. For he is not a Jew who is one word outwardly, nor is circumcision that which is outward in the flesh. 
but he is a Jew who is one inwardly. And the circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter, whose praise is not from men, but from God. Actually, I could change the word Jew here and put Christian. For he is not a believer or a Christian who is one outwardly, nor a circumcision that which is outward in the flesh, but he who is a Christian is one inwardly, and circumcision is that of the heart in the spirit, not in the letter in the Bible or prayer coming to church on Sunday, whose praise is not from men but from God. Because all those works, oh, I go to church, I read the word, I pray. People proclaim that just so they could get worship and praise from man, right? But when you obey and humbly come before the Lord and repent of your sins, you get praise from God that you did my work. You did, you were obedient to me and my law, right? In Romans 3.20, it says, Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by the law is the knowledge of sin, and sin leading to what? Death. Right? For the wages of sin is death. And that's what the law does. You open up the law, you see how wrong you are. That's what the law is, right? That's why they're cops, when you break the law. Whether you know the law or not, you can't play the ignorance called the law is there. And if you break it, you must pay the consequence, right? So all those people that say, what if no one ever heard? Listen, if you're driving 80 miles per hour in a 25 mile per hour zone, you can't play. That was posted, right? That law was already written. And therefore, you must be held accountable for breaking it. Um, so here, once again, he reemphasizes that we cannot be justified by the flesh and not by the circumcision. And here we see in verses 4 through 6 that Paul details how far he exceeds anything these Judaizers may claim, right? They're saying, we're this, we're that. He's like, well, let me tell you how much of a Jew I am. Right? You guys think you're bad. Hold on. Let me break it down for you real quick, right? If a man could be cleansed and justified by the flesh, Paul would definitely be justified in the eyes of all these Jews through his works, right? Amongst the Hebrews, he was without equal. He says in that second part of verse 4, If anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, more so, I more so, circumcised in the eighth day of the stock of Israel, check. Of the tribe of Benjamin, out of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, concerning the law, or what? Of Pharisees, right? He was a professor he had a few doctorates in the law, right, of God. He was, he was um, and we see that, you know, I, I always thank God that we're the recipients of that knowledge, right? His epistles, I mean, Pastor Alex just went over Hebrews, but you read home, Romans and Hebrew, and it's just amazing that even to this day, actually, law schools study the book of Romans to study law and righteousness and guilty and not guilty because it's so amazing, um, you know, talking about justification and so on. Um, but he was a Pharisee. A concerning, concerning zeal or his zeal for his faith, right? And, and, and Judaism persecuted the church, killed believers. Be like, oh, you don't believe like me? Hold on, let me show you, right? What, what, what's coming to you? And he will persecute the church. And concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. Blameless. He followed the law to a T. Right, so Paul was a Jew of Jews, right? Um, so it's of no no surprise that he was a Christian of Christians too, when he accepted the Lord, that he became the greatest Christian to ever walk this earth. 
So what of all these things, right? He had nothing to be jealous of, of what these people were preaching of. He'd done it all, and even better. But then we have, Rome, then we have these next few verses, right? Verses 7 through 11. And it says, but what, things, but what things were gained to me? These things I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus, my Lord for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. So we see here, all these wonderful things, and we're going to break it down right now. All these things that I did, Hebrew of Hebrews, a zeal for the Lord, follow the law to a T. I count it as trash, rubbish, garbage, garbage in comparison to knowing Christ, right? And gaining Christ, to live as Christ, to buy his gain. We hear that word gain a lot here. So here the word gain is a business term meaning profit, and the word loss is used to describe a business loss, right? So what profit and what loss? So we see that first part in verse 8, which says, Yet indeed I also count all these things, verses 4 through 6 that we just read, um, for the excellence of Jesus Christ. I'm sorry, verse 7. But what things were gained to me, verses 4 through 6, these things I have counted loss for Christ. So all his Jewish religion, his credentials, in his eyes were considered a loss. Now, many, many times to other people, it's probably a gain. They're like, man, you're awesome. You're amazing. You did it. As far as a Jew, you've reached that point, right? But to him, now the Lord opened his eyes. And it's like, hmm, that's nothing. Now, according to the world, you might be something, right? And that should be our perspective, too. In this world, if people see a certain status, a title, a house, you got this, the Joneses, right? Trying to keep up with the Joneses. And trying to have this or that, or I have a master's, I have a PhD, I went to this school, I went to this, I have this house, I live in this borough, I did blah, 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 blah. You can go on and on and on and on and on. Ultimately, in the long run, it means nothing. Now, God put you there for a purpose, and thank God you got that degree, you have that status. He only gave that to you to use it for his glory. Remember that. Don't ever forget that, right? But those things mean nothing. Uh, you know, in comparison to his riches of what he has done for us, right? Just like Paul says here, he counted as rubbish. So that was that, as far as business, that lost column was all his re religious credentials, right? It was of no profit, just heading to damnations. The verse he described, the th works he describes in verses four through six were considered a loss in comparison um, to gain in Jesus Christ, right? And that shall be our... Um, our attitude as well, right? The only thing that matters is the relationship with Jesus Christ. So that's that loss column. Verse 4 through 6, if you see a column, loss and profit report, loss is all those things that he had, right, as a, a Hebrew of Hebrews. But what is in that profit column? Well, he says a few things here in verses 8 through 11. Let's see what that profit was, right? Verse 8, yet indeed I also count all those things loss for the excellence 
of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I suffer the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So gaining Christ in his life was that first part of his prophet column, right? And knowing Christ. So the word knowing is not just knowing intellectually, right? But knowing experientially or personally. Personally have a relationship with something, right? That's that Greek word used in here. And so we have a few verses to kind of show in Jesus Christ what our relationship with him, right, with God is now with Jesus Christ, that we know him personally. This is one of my favorite verses, John 10, 27. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. That word know, I know their voice, right? As a father to his children, know their voice. John 17, 3, which is behind us in Spanish, which is the motto of our church. And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. That they may know you, not just intellectually, but personally in your heart. 2 Corinthians 4, 6. And I love this one. This is so deep. For it is God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Right? There was a verse um, in one of his Gospels where it says, you said you have not seen God. If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And my son, my son asked me the other day, what, is the, what was it, Isaac? What is the greatest era or that you would like to live in? I think you asked me, right? I said, man, those only three years, those three years that he ministered on this earth. Oh, my goodness, that would be awesome just to be here and just to see him say things like this, right? Like, you, you've seen God, you've seen the Father, you've seen me, you know, that's who I am. Um, but that's that, that knowledge, right, that true knowledge of personally knowing him, that we know God, that we have seen God through Jesus Christ. And lastly, 1 John chapter 5, verse 20, it says, And we know the Son of God has come and has given us an understanding that we may know him who is true. Through Jesus Christ, we know him who is true, right? Jesus is truth, yes, but he's talking about Father, right? He who is true, and we are in him who is true, in his son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life, right? That through Jesus Christ, we know the truth, who is God the Father, um, through the truth himself, who is truth incarnate in Jesus Christ, right? Um, it's knowing the riches of God through our love and obedience to Jesus Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit. And he, just like uh, we, just like him, shall count all these past things garbage or rubbish so that we may gain and know Christ more and more each day. Right? Even the things you've done in the church. Sometimes I've seen older believers that be like, oh, I've done this, I've done this in the past. I done. Good for you. What are you doing now? You know, what are you doing now? It, it reminds me, and this is, <laughs> I should have never watched the show as a kid, but was married with children, right? Those of us old enough know, remember Al Bundy? Al Bundy was a character. He had such a pathetic life. He was such a loser. But his claim to fame throughout the whole show, does anyone remember? His sports, he scored, he was an older man. He was like, you know, not older man, but, you know, a lot separated from high school, right? He was like 50-something at the time of the show. He was like, when I was younger, I scored four touchdowns in one game. 
And he would keep bringing that up, keep bringing. That was his claim to fame, right? That thing he did in high school 40 plus years ago, right? Um, and many believers in the church have the same thing. Oh, I did this when I first came to the Lord. I did this, I did that. I'd be like, okay, what are you doing now? All those things are rubbish. Yes, you did it for the Lord. Maybe God was, glor God was glorified, hopefully. But that's in the past. Is he still using you today? doesn't matter what your age, right? We see examples throughout the Bible where 80 plus years Jesus used, God used for his glory. I've heard of stories of missionaries that leave work, retire from here, go to some other country. It was this guy that went to India. I think it was a Word of Life missionary or something. It was actually for the sports ministry. And he went. He was already 60, 70. And he said that he lived the last 15 years of his life with the greatest years of his life. He lived in some sports ministry up in India. I forgot his name. And he said, I never felt more alive and free than he did then. So what are you doing now? doesn't matter what age you're in, what point in your life you are in Christ. Everyone's on their own journey. How is the Lord using you today, right? So he counted all those things rubbish. So the first thing on that prophet column is the excellence of knowing him every single day, right? And it's just not knowing him at salvation, right? That that's my Savior, save me. Every single day, get to know him more and more through reading his word and experiencing his grace and mercy in your life every day. Second thing in that column is in verse 9. I'm sorry, you guys. My Bible just went crazy. In verse 9, where it says, And be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ Jesus, the righteousness which is from God by faith. So the second thing in the column, the first one is knowing him. The second one is righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, right? It says there, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that is through Jesus Christ. So that day of Christ, when he's before him, he wants to be found righteous, not through his own works, but through the works of Jesus Christ um, on the cross, right? In Romans 3, verses 19 to 20, it says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and all the world may become guilty before God, right? The law just brings out sin. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight, for by that law is the knowledge of sin. Once again, the law only brings a, um, sin and leading to death, right? In comparison, in the same Romans chapter 3, verses 21 through 24, it says, But now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and all who believe, for there is no difference, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So that second, that second part of that prophet is a righteousness that is imputed on each one of us through God and through Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, right? That is the only reason we're righteous and justified and the only reason we could get to heaven, right? Because is there any imperfection in heaven? No. But all of you are what? All of us are imperfect. Hmm, conundrum. How do we get into a place that's perfect? Only through the blood of Jesus, right? Only through the blood of Jesus and only through the work of his cross, his righteousness is imputed on us. So God sees us, being a holy God, sees us through the lens of his blood of the cross and sees our sin forgiven. 
and only through that. So knowing, so the first thing is knowing him, the righteousness of God imputed in us through Jesus Christ. Third on the prophet is knowing the power of his resurrection, right? Christ displayed his power through resurrecting himself from the dead, and Paul knew that he had the same power, right? In Romans 6, 5, it says, For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also should be in the likeness of his resurrected. Just as Jesus resurrected, so shall we in a glorified state with him. And that is the hope that we have, right? And thirdly, and many people would not see this as a prophet, but Paul did, especially of all people, knowing the fellowship of his suffering. That's the second part of verse 10 where it says, um, verse 10, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death, right? So knowing the fellowship of his suffering, Paul was obedient and loved the Lord so much that he was willing to die and give up his life for the furtherance of his gospel and for his kingdom, right? We should find it a joy and privilege as believers when we are persecuted or suffering for him. Not that we look for pain and suffering, but if you obey him, eventually you will have a position and have to suffer some sort of persecution, right? In Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 and 12, it says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceedingly glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. So the Lord says rejoice and be exceedingly glad when you are persecuted for his namesake and for following him. And in John 15, 18 to 21, John chapter 15, 18 to 21, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. So when you were in the world, there was no opposition because you followed the current. Satan didn't, was not afraid of you, right? You were following him. Yet because you are not of the world, you believers, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, Jesus Christ, they will also persecute us believers, right? If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things they will do for you, my, do to you for my namesake, because they do not know him who sent me. So whenever you get persecuted for the Lord, don't take it personal. It's not you. They don't know him, and they don't understand it, right? Outside of God, we, they cannot understand the principles of God, and therefore they will persecute you. And lastly, in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 10 to 12, this is Paul writing to his son in the faith. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, and perse perseverance. But not only that, and we know Paul's life, right? Timothy also followed his persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all, now this is for all of us, yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will live happy lives full of joy and riches. 
<laughs> now y'all know it didn't say that. Yes, and all of you who desire, now it's a choice, right? Those of you who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Yay. <laughs> there goes the prosperity gospel out the window. Follow the Lord and he will give you everything, all your dreams and desires, riches, untold. If you're not happy, if you're not healthy, if you're not rich, you don't have enough faith in the Lord. Prosperity gospel, right? Prosperity gospel, we hear it. Nah, here's the real gospel coming from a man who went through a lot. All who desire to live a godly life will suffer persecution. That is our promise here on earth. But we have a crown waiting for us in heaven, right? And that's where our hope is. So his prophet is knowing him, right? Knowing him, knowing the power of his resurrection, knowing the fellowship of his suffering, the righteousness of God through Jesus Christ, and lastly, conforming to his death. Paul accepted living for Christ and preaching the gospel, such an honor that he was willing to give up his life in need be, he esteemed sharing the gospel and opening their eyes to the truth so much that his life came second. His life was all about sharing the gospel and being the light to the world, as we, we spoke about last week, right? The light to a perverse generation, and that was his goal in life. And he only did that through obedience to Jesus Christ. And that last verse shows where he got his power and boldness from. Verse 11, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Paul's boldness came from the knowledge that no matter what happened, that he had the power of Christ to resurrect him from the dead. And that is true power. And all of us have that same power, right? Not because of our own merits, credentials, and what we're going through, but through what Jesus Christ did on the cross. Now, it may be difficult whatever you're going through, but you can face it with boldness knowing that he dwells in you and he will give you the power that Paul had through the Holy Spirit to get through these things. And if you think you're going through it tough, just read 2 Corinthians 11. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, it details everything Paul went through. And I guarantee you, most of us haven't even gone through half of that. Through what he went through. Right? And yet, he still, and we see through this whole epistle, he had a heart of joy and happiness in him. Not that he enjoyed going through all these things. But he knew the one that would never leave him, forsake him. And he knew the goal. He knew what was for No matter what may happen, he knew he had the goal of resurrection and glory with God, with God and Jesus Christ, right? Because he knew him. Paul was stoned almost to the point of death, and he continued forward because he knew him. He had a personal knowledge. That's that word, knowledge of power of him who dwelt in his heart. So the question for all of us this day is, do you know him? Do you know him? And do you consider all those things in the past rubbish or anything in your life rubbish compared to knowing Jesus Christ more and more every single day? Do you want that joy that Paul had? That's how you do it. That's the secret. He's giving up that old life, giving up your own personal interests, your pride and your ego, and following him and being obedient to him every single day. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, Lord Jesus, we come before you thanking you, God, for this day. Thanking you, Lord, for your precious grace, for your mercy, and for the promises we find in you, Lord. Thank you 
that in this country we can freely read your word and as a consequence, Lord, as a consequence, be closer to you every single day. Lord, help us to be diligent and disciplined in reading your word, in studying your word, in seeking your face and your will for us. Help us, Lord, to live that life of righteousness. Lord, to desire to live a godly life, even though we know we might suffer persecution, Father. And we're not saying that we want to suffer persecution, that, Lord, we want to suffer loss, and we want to suffer at all. But we know, Lord, that prophet column, we want to be in that prophet column, Lord, to be able to know you, to live out that righteousness that you imputed on us, Father, to conform to your death and be encouraged by the power of your resurrection. Lord, help us, everyone here today, Lord, to live a life solely dedicated to you, and to your word, Father. May we live a life of righteousness, be the light and salt of this earth so that others may know the joy that we have experienced and know in you, Jesus Christ. And Lord, we thank you and we praise your name that you know our name, that you hear us calling and you listen to us, that we can become before the throne of grace with our sorrows, with our petitions, interceding, Lord, and at any time, with boldness and confidence through the righteousness of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So thank you once again for our congregation, Lord. Thank you for all those who have come here today. Bless every family represented here today. And as we did this morning, Father, may you also be with those who are mourning today on 9-11, Father, are still mourning, even after 21 years, that pain is still fresh. And I just pray that you be with those families, Lord, that you continue to strengthen them, comfort them, and bring them peace um, with such a tragedy, Father. And be with the family, Lord, of the Queen as well, and that whole nation as it transitions into a new era, Lord, um, through the passing of the Queen. So, Father, we just thank you for who you are, for all you provide for us, and we just pray for the offering now, that you may bless the offering, Father, and thank you for the opportunity to be able to give back, if even in a small way, Lord, um, to you, Lord Jesus, and to your ministry, and, and you've given us so much, Lord Jesus. And just bless the cheerful giver. And those who don't have, may you bless them with what they need on this day, Lord. And we commend this service and our families into your hands. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We thank you for listening to this message and pray that the Word of God spoke to your heart. To listen to previous sermons, please visit us at www.cbttbc.com or anchor.fm forward slash cbt hyphen sermons.